This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Wednesday, February 23rd. This is episode 370. My name is Dan Ellis and I'm joined by two awesome co-hosts, Mr. Taylor Grin. Hey, hey. And Mr. Ryan Duffy. Who the fuck's that? Woo! Good to see you guys. It's It's been a minute. Uh, I've not really had any social contact other than us work stuff no. and Tracy, <laughs> which is, which is fun. I like, I like hanging out with her. She's, she's good company. We get along really, really well. Um, but yeah, what's, what's new with you guys? Let's go uh, with you, Ryan. Um, I had an interesting conversation with my grandpa today. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't put us on a list, Ryan. I won't put, I mean, <laughs> Don't uh, do it. <laughs> he's not a he's not a fan of Trump. Is he's, yeah, he's not a fan Don't of Trump. Don't make us spend our retainer with Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really like Trump. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, if things happen to him, he won't really be sad about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. won't quite be disappointed. Yeah, I I would take it a step further and say, you know, I I'd, I'd probably have a drinker five and dance a jig and on his grave yeah i'd of natural causes i'd (laughs) I'd be i'd be not unhappy (laughs) i mean we had our favorite senator in wisconsin mr mccarthy Uh uh-huh um who i was told in high school people would regularly go to his grave to piss on it oh really yeah can't say i blame him no that's that's i heard at one point it was stolen his grave that's awesome yeah his headstone oh <laughs> not, not that they didn't steal his body they left that piece of shit there but they they, <laughs> they, they stole his headstone which is kind of like well i guess you can't steal houdini has like a temple so you can't really steal his yeah. but yeah somebody had stolen mm. mr mccarthy's uh headstone and he's probably <laughs> covered in piss anyways mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just taking Chris. it up for a cleaning yeah yeah yeah. Um, other than that, not much going on here. Yeah. Well, I'll go next. I know Taylor wanted to go last. Um, we had Tracy's mom's, one of her puppies staying with us for about a week because Tracy's mom got very sick. She did not have Ooh. COVID, but she was very, very ill. And then she's also trying to deal with, so she's got two puppies, they're litter mates, and the female is just having a really difficult time learning to go outside when she needs to go potty Ah. like she just she pees everywhere and it's and it's 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 like it's not even a conscious thing like she's just walking and peeing so she's taken her Mm. to the vet several different times she's yeah they've checked her for all kinds of stuff um and the vet is just like you know sometimes female dogs just don't build any kind of bladder control until they're like three or four months old so sorry you're just gonna have to Mm -hmm. wait it out and so she wanted a week to try to work with her, and we had her uh, little boy dog over here, Ozzy, and he's just fucking adorable. He's so goddamn <laughs> cute. I should upload some video. We 
in, in just the week that he was here, we got him going up and down stairs all over the house. We taught him to sit. We taught him to stay, wait for his cookie, fully potty trained him. He's going outside. Like he's just an awesome, he was really smart, super cute, very friendly, lovable, cuddly dog. And we took him back on Monday and, and we were very sad to see him go. But he, we'll still get to see him all the time anyway. But you, you couldn't tell her he ran away. No. <laughs> oh, that would be bad. Well, then she could just never come over to our house again because he would be here, and I could never post pictures of our adorable dogs. Um, but yeah, you adopted he's, another one. He's he's a very good boy, and and he's a Boston also. She, so her mom, mm-hmm. at at our urging, um, you know, she wanted a new dog, and we suggested a Boston, and so she got two, and that's. <laughs> That's good. They're, they're fun. They're, they're, they're like potato chips. You can't ever have just one. They're just the best dogs ever. They're just <laughs> super friendly, super smart. They're a little strong headed, little, little stubborn, but they're just like adorable little clowns, man. I, I, I love them. They're the best dogs ever. Um, so that's been fun. And then just working a ton. Oh, and I got, I'm going to, I'm going to use my best, uh, Bob, Bob Barker voice, a new oh. car. it's so fucking cool man it's the 2022 gv70 it's the 3.5 t sport prestige model in himalayan gray with obsidian black interior and tracy has but wait there's more and tracy has already set all of the ambient lighting to be purple so that's fun it's i don't like i can't really tell and she's excited that she can do purple but it has like colorblind yeah ambient lighting all throughout like all along the trim and the doors and around the center console and and dashboard and it's got all the bells and whistles like fully loaded super fucking fancy i don't even have to have a key i can use my phone as a digital key uh a lot of cars um crossovers and suvs now if you want to open the lift gate you can like move your foot under a sensor mm-hmm. on the rear bumper you don't even need to do that with ours like you just get close to the car and it will sense your presence and open the lift gate if you stand there for like five seconds the <laughs> the side mirrors fold in when it's locked when you approach the vehicle, they unfold and shine this Genesis light down onto the page. It's just so fucking cool, man. It will park itself. I can move the car forward and backward on the key fob. Like it's just, it's fucking amazing. I love it. It's so much fun to drive. And Speaking of key fobs and be able to automatically open doors, yeah. Sarah did that the other night to her car at about 8, 8 p.m. Uh-huh. and didn't notice until I told her at like 7 in the morning when I looked on our cameras to see if it had snowed. Uh-huh. And I was like, Sarah, your car's open. <laughs> back hatches open and it's been open oops. all night oops <laughs> yeah, batteries dead there's cats nesting in there that's yeah. what i was thinking <laughs> was gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> that's it for me what's up with you mr grin oh man um not much uh tweaked my back just a little bit so i've been kind of sore um if i'm a little slow this episode it's because i i finally popped a muscle relaxer to see if i could break up the spasm um Started playing a really fun game uh, called Ghosts of Tsushima, which is uh, like a like a samurai ninja kind of game. It's beautiful, like one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. Like a video um, game? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, cool. With I think like Mel was telling me to play that one a while ago. It's it's so much fun. Like it's very much a love letter to like Assassin's Creed or like mm-hmm. Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild or you know what have you. Like like. Uh, 
you know, the Nathan Drake game, whatever that one is, that they just made the movie of like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just great exploration, great combat, beautiful fucking imagery. The, the particle effects are insane. Like the way that you can see the wind blow over these grassy fields and like every blade of grass is literally moving with the wind. Like would have thought that kind of graphics was impossible five years ago. So Very it's cool. been a blast. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that's about the only good thing in life right now. Uh, uh, shit's about to get whack in Europe. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's going a little nutsky over there, as they would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like how you made it. Uh, <laughs> it is very nutsky over here right now. <laughs> um, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that like the folks who listen to our show, um, who probably also listen to a bunch of other stuff. So I'm, I, I don't imagine that they're uninformed, but I wanted to make sure that like our listeners had some background. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to start with something that's kind of breaking news. Um, just because I thought it was really inspiring. And then I'm going to go into a short history of Ukraine. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on right now and our thoughts on it. And then I've got kind of a, like a, like a pick me up at the end of the episode. So, um, you can have your pudding if you eat your meat. Uh, get through this episode, and I've got something really sweet for you at the end. Awesome. I like meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ryan. So, so starting with this, um, Zelensky, the, uh, the prime minister of Ukraine, um, has just made an address to the Russian people, which yeah. he delivered in the Russian language. Mm. I did see, I saw some transcript from this. Uh, Today, I initiated a phone call with the president of the Russian Federation. The result was silence. Though the silence should be in Donbass. As a result, I want to address the citizens of Russia. We are separated by more than 2,000 kilometers of mutual borders, along which 200,000 of your soldiers and 1,000 armored vehicles are standing. Your leadership has approved their step forward onto the territory of another country. This step could be the beginning of a big war. The cause could come up at any moment, any provocation, any spark, a spark that could burn everything down. You are told that this flame will liberate the people of Ukraine, but the Ukrainian people are free. You are told we hate Russian culture. How can one culture Uh, Sorry, how can one hate a culture? Neighbors always enrich each other, culturally. However, that doesn't make them a single whole. It doesn't dissolve us into you. We are different, but that is not a reason to be enemies. Listen to the voice of reason. The people of Ukraine want peace. The authorities in Ukraine want peace. They want it, and they are doing everything they can for it. We don't need war. But if we are attacked... If someone attempts to take away our land, our freedom, our lives, the lives of our children, we will defend ourselves. We won't attack, but defend ourselves. By attacking, you will see our faces, not our backs, but our faces. War will remove guarantees from everyone. No one will have security guarantees anymore. Who will suffer most from all of this? People. Who wants this the least? People. Who cannot allow this to happen? People. There are these people among you. I'm sure of it. 
I know this speech of mine won't be shown on Russian TV, but the people of Russia need to see it. They need to know the truth. The truth is that this must be stopped before it is too late. And if the leadership of Russia does not want to sit down at the table for peace with us, then maybe it will want to sit down at a table with you. Do Russians want war? I would very much like the answer to this question, but the answer depends only on you, the citizens of the Russian Federation. That's not good, man. I mean, that was well, a good speech. Uh, just the whole situation is not good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Russia is definitely winning the uh, propaganda war. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes and no. Like, domestically, probably, abroad, yeah. I would I would disagree. Yeah. I don't know. They got Fox News on the hook. I mean, they do. But <laughs> honestly, what the Biden administration has been doing has been revolutionary in terms of intelligence sharing. Uh, no administration oh. has ever been this open about intelligence reports in the past, and it's completely disabled a disinformation basis for um, a false flag attack. Uh, it's it's honestly brilliant watching it I, happen in real time. I completely agree with you, but the people that are watching Fox News right now are agreeing mm-hmm. that Russia has the right to do this. Yeah. Because of Which the, is wild. the shit they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. Well, and I'm hoping that by this episode, our listeners will be better equipped to counter, you know, the disinformation that they hear. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited so, to learn. Uh, without any further ado. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I'm excited to learn more about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> starting on the other side of this. Oh, this break. Small break. Okay, maybe a little bit more ado. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Caitlin, and if you sign your kids up for youth sports, make sure to volunteer to coach. Thanks, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Looking at two state and one state, and I like the one that both parties like. I'm very happy with the one that both parties like. I can live with either one. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. And uh, welcome back. So at the outset of this, one thing that I do want to um, remind the listeners is even though I've done work with like the DOD before, um, none of it has involved like the region of Ukraine or, or Russia involvement in Europe or anything like that. Mm. And this is all open source information. Yep. Yeah. Everything Everything that we're about to talk about is is available on the news, has nothing to do with anything else I've, I've done in the past for the government. Um. And, and you'll have to apologize, or, or apologize, I have to apologize, you'll have to bear with me. I'm probably going to have a lot of breathing sounds tonight just because of the, the pain I'm in. Um, if that if that fucks with you in terms of like a, like a sound issue, I'm really sorry. Um, so anyway, let me go into some of Ukraine's history. Long before Ukraine was independent, it was a region that had a strong local identity while simultaneously being ruled over by everyone from Greeks and Persians, Mongols, Lithuania, Poland, and Russia. The Kievan Rus are a distinct ethnic group that tends to be a unifying factor for the country. However, it has disputed origins, which there are two prevailing theories, one of which is that they are Russian, uh, sorry, uh, Vikings, who basically trekked inland with their trade with northern Baltic countries and settled in the Kiev region. And an alternate hypothesis is that they're basically a proto-Russian people 
who were like ethnically distinct from the other groups in the region. Mm. What is important is that starting in the 1800s, Ukraine began to be Russified. Uh, however, their art and literature was fairly stable uh, in retaining a unique Ukrainian culture. Um, the, the, the period between like 800 and 1800 was not good for Ukraine. It was just a constant swapping of hands of like what nation was dominating that land region. Uh, during that 1800s time period, the czarist regime started pushing a narrative that the Kievan Rus were an orphaned Russian people who were separated from the Rus by the Mongols. Put a pin in this, we'll pull it out much, much later because Putin is making a similar claim today. And and just uh, just I don't I don't mean to divert you too much. No, yeah. But uh, I get upset or not. it's 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 a little nit that I like to pick uh, when people say the Ukraine. I don't know why the fuck people say the Ukraine. We don't say the China or the Japan. Mm-hmm. I, I I see I I hear news people saying that all the time, and things mm-hmm. are going bad in the Ukraine. It's it's just Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. I, I know it's a holdover from when Ukraine was a republic in the USSR. I suspect that it has something to do with like a linguistic carryover That's, from translations from Russia. Yeah, uh, Russian. What, yeah, what I figured is that it had to have been something in Ukraine's past that it's that it was at one time known as like the Ukrainian Republic of whatever mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. Ukrainian so and so and people then would just shorten it to the Ukraine or the Ukrainian. Yeah. And now they just say that all the time. It's just, it's one of those little nitpicky things that bothers mm-hmm. me. Well, it's something I notice more with cold warriors than younger people too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if I do that, like it's only because of my influence from the same, right. Yeah. But I, I've tried to purge that from my own vocabulary. Yeah. Well, and that's probably why it, uh, stands out for me is because when I was much younger, I used to say the Ukraine and finally somebody mm-hmm. corrected me and they're like, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> why, yeah. why do you keep saying the Ukraine? It's just, it's, it's Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry so to sidetrack the, you. No, no, you're good. You're good. That's, that's a great point to bring up. Um, the first, the first 15, 17 years of the 1900s were not good for Russia. Uh, the Tsarist government was overthrown Ukraine briefly knew autonomy during that time period, and they immediately established a free press, free speech, and free assembly. They lifted czarist restrictions on minorities and started treating Jewish people in the region much better. Uh, one thing to know about like historical Russia and present-day Russia is they're very anti-Semitic. Um, they also, uh, Ukraine also established a parliament in Kiev, Initially, the provisional government of Russia, which was a sort of like interregnum government uh, between the fall of the Tsarists and the the takeover of the Bolsheviks, uh, they recognized Ukraine's right to autonomy. But when the Bolsheviks took control in 1917, relations broke down almost immediately. Ukraine's parliament refused to acknowledge the Bolshevik regime as having authority over their nation and declared independence. Uh, however, they did treat themselves as a member of an overall Russian federation, which is a theme that will persist for the next hundred years. We're independent um, except for when Big Daddy Bear says we're not. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's 
almost like a confederacy of nations the way that the EU is a confederacy of nations. They mm-hmm. wanted to have like a favored trading status and cultural underpinning with Russia, Belarus, you know, the other Baltics, that kind of thing. But they did not want to lose their autonomy now mm-hmm. that they had just gotten it. Um, there are books and books and books worth of bullshit that happened during World War One. I'm not going to get into all of you. Um, it will bore you. Um, I will say that there was a lot of violence, a lot of fighting over who would control what regions and just a shit ton of anti-Semitic violence that occurred during World War One in Ukraine. By the end of World War One, Ukraine was broken up into chunks, some of which were split among its neighbors in Romania, Poland and Czechoslovakia. And the rest of it, including Kiev, fell under Soviet control with what would have been like a proto USSR. Under the Soviet rule, all of Ukraine's governmental and cultural autonomy was abrogated. There is also a massive genocide caused by collectivism efforts to separate Ukrainians from their farmland, known as the Holodomor. This killed more than 4 million Ukrainians in one year alone. Wow. Yeah. Um, Again, like there's books worth of stuff about the Holodomor. Um, It's also important to note that Russian shills will call this a natural famine. Oh, Tulsi Gabbard? Okay. Yeah. Also, yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I've heard of, of the lead famine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you get what I'm um, saying. During World War II, Germany and Russia basically took, tur- uh, took turns bending Ukraine over. Uh, Nazis who invaded Ukraine used them as what they referred to as Eastern workers. Uh, they enslaved the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. And then when the Russians retook control of the territory, they did like this weird ethnic swap with Poland, which they also held, where any Poles who had been living in Ukraine, no matter how many generations, versus any Ukrainian ethnic people in Poland, were just picked up and traded between the two countries. And the USSR did that so that each country would have a distinct ethnic, like, identity population. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, following World War II, Stalin treated the Ukrainians like shit and more of them died from artificial sh- famines. Khrushchev was a little better, allowing Eastern Ukrainians some more cultural autonomy while russifying Western Ukraine. One important transition during this period was to shift the Crimean Peninsula from Russian domain to Ukrainian oversight. Gorbachev, the last Soviet leader, recognized the USSR's significant economic issues Uh, And we fast forwarded several decades because not much changed during Khrushchev's rule. Um, In 1986, he started the policy of perestroika, which was the restructuring of the economy to recognize more localized autonomy of markets and also glasnost, which uh, lifted some of the restrictions on idea exchange with countries outside of the USSR. If you've taken like an American history class, this will probably be one of the last things you cover before the semester's over and the teacher's rushing to get through content. Um, (laughs) And it's right before the fall of the USSR. Mm -hmm. Uh, By 1989, Ukraine had developed mass movements for nationalization and had reinstituted Ukrainian as their national language. Groups like the Ukrainian Helensky uh, Union wanted restoration of Ukraine's sovereignty, restoration of human rights, and the transformation of the USSR into a genuine confederation of independent states. Think more like the EU versus the US, right? Mm -hmm. The USSR opposed this and made propaganda attacks against Ukrainian media. They arrested protesters and so on. But it's a far cry from like literally putting people in like gulags and concentration camps, which they had done in the 50s. Mm -hmm. 
1990, Ukraine held elections for their parliament again, breaking the monopoly on power by the Supreme Soviet running the region. Members of Ukrainian's pro-democratic factions seized a sizable minority and began extracting concessions from the USSR party line members of parliament. The pressure here and elsewhere led Gorbachev to draft plans for a new Soviet Union treaty that would have guaranteed broad autonomy to Soviet republics like Ukraine and Belarus. However, in 1991, Gorbachev loyalists attempted a coup on Ukraine. It failed within two days, and the parliament then ratified full independence by the end of the year. That was the fall of the Soviet Union, oh, the wow. true fall of the Soviet Union. It's important to note some numbers here. After nearly a full uh, century of authoritarian rule, including mass genocide and concentration camps under the USSR, through repression of their language, literature, religion, and culture, 84 fucking percent of eligible voters turned out for the referendum. Wow. And of those 84 percent who turned out for the referendum, 94 percent endorsed independence. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, when you look at the map of the regions and the percentage of votes they got in, it's like, that's kind of unheard of. 84% yeah. of eligible voters. Can you imagine if the U.S. had that kind of voter turnout? That would be amazing. Right? Yeah. Between then and now, it's important to know that Crimea has always been a sore spot with Russia because of that control that was transferred to Ukraine. In 1994, there was a brief attempt by Crimea to separate from Ukraine. Ukraine also became aware um, of a large number of nuclear weapons that the USSR had held there and elsewhere within Ukraine. At the time, they were technically the world's third largest nuclear power, but they lacked the skills, economy, and defense to maintain the arsenal. They stopped Crimea from separating from Ukraine uh, by exposing corruption in the vote that was to make it autonomous, and they started making an agreement with the U.S. to divest themselves of the nukes in exchange for a guarantee of independence should Russia come knocking, because they knew at the time that because they had nukes, Russia wouldn't do anything to them. Mm -hmm. But they also knew they couldn't really keep those nukes safe. In 1994 as well, following a mostly fair and free election, uh, which, like, is pretty big for a former Soviet Republic. Like it was legitimately mostly free and fair. Um, there was a peaceful transfer of power to a new prime minister who, while more Russia friendly, continued the course for Ukraine. This would include founding a special partnership with NATO and joining the Council of Europe. Fast forward about 10 years and we get closer to the present day. We're gonna get into some hard names here and I'm sorry, there's really no way to make it like easier. <laughs> Yanukovych was a pro-Russia, Putin-supported candidate who initially won an election, but then was credibly accused of vote rigging. A rerun of that vote was held, and Yushchenko, a pro-Western prime minister, won through the support of a third party. During this time, Yushchenko tightened Ukraine's allegiance with the uh, EU and NATO. Good. In 2010, uh, Yanukovych regained control of Ukraine. And it's really important to point out here that in 2008, the State Department noted that a U.S.-based lobbyist who was named Paul Manafort mm -hmm. was helping doing the PR campaign uh, for Yankovic in order to help him restore his image and win the prime ministership. Mm. And this mm -hmm. is part of his uh, needing to 
identify or release that information that that he was a, a lobbyist for all of this right that mm-hmm. was that was a yeah. bit of a scandal when he was trump's campaign manager mm-hmm. among many others yeah right, he had yeah. also been involved in in several very corrupt uh elections in the african continent if i recall correctly as well mm. um when yankovich regained control of ukraine in 2010 uh, he immediately abandoned Ukraine's plans to join NATO and began corruptly imprisoning his political opponents. In 2013, just days before an association agreement with the EU would be signed, he bailed out of that agreement. Massive protests started in Ukraine's Maidan, which is like an independent square that they have, um, were held. And like these protests were nuts. Um, in the dead of Ukrainian winter, cops were shooting uh, the protesters with like uh, water out of hoses and the protesters were building what were essentially massive like igloo forts to defend themselves against the police. It was like, <laughs> like I can remember wild. watching, the, I can remember seeing videos of that square where they're based. Yeah. They, they fortified themselves into it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's like an adult snowball fight with like water cannons and you know, tear gas. Hmm. Um, Due to those protests, Parliament voted to remove Yankovich, who then fled to Russia. Surprise. Shortly thereafter, sorry, go ahead. Surprise. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, Shortly thereafter, Little Green Men, uh, which was like the sort of catchphrase for Russian mercenaries, um, and and potentially Russian, like, ununiformed special forces, started to appear in Crimea. Communication lines were cut, media offices were moved into, and Crimea held a, quote fingers, referendum to declare themselves Russian. Russia quickly moved to incorporate Crimea and simultaneously began to uh, seize sections of industrial eastern Ukraine, uh, including Donsk and uh, Luhansk regions. Uh, Those are the regions under dispute right now. Yep. In the same year, a surface-to-air missile, probably from the Russian side, shot down a Malaysian Airlines airplane carrying mostly Dutch citizens. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Didn't but they the claim it was an pa- accident? Yeah, yeah. An, an accidental accident. firing? Yeah. Um, with the release of the Panama Papers, documentation that showed many rich folks hiding away money, then Prime Minister of Ukraine, Poroshenko, was also implicated. He lost his re-election in 2019, and the new prime minister, Zelensky, won, a cam- won on a campaign of anti-corruption with more than 73% of support in parliament, which is like, you don't need to form a, a multi-party majority at that point. Like, you can make laws. Wow. In that same year, Donald Trump was impeached for trying to leverage $400 million in military aid to Ukraine in exchange for an investigation of Biden's son, who sat on a natural gas company's board. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. As soon as Zelensky, asked, uh, sorry, as soon as President Biden took office in 2021, Zelensky asked the U.S. if they could join NATO. Um, however, full membership was not offered. Instead, they were given an increased level of allegiance similar to that uh, of countries like Sweden. By the they're end like of a, 2021. Like a partner, aren't they basically? Yeah. But but they don't fall under Article Five. No, you know, if Ukraine no, so gets attacked, the rest of NATO won't come We don't get full military mm-hmm. support. Yep. Uh, by the end of 2021, Russia had begun massing 
large amounts of materiel on the border of Ukraine and Belarus. As of a few days before this recording, shelling and troop movements have begun in eastern Ukraine, and the U.S. and EU have responded with sanctions. That pin at the very beginning of this, we'll pull it out now, in a speech that was given as of the time of this recording yesterday. Uh, one of the things that Vladimir Putin brought up in an hour-long speech he gave to the Russian people was this idea that the USSR had split Russian people into different districts, calling them different countries like Belarus and Ukraine and Russia, where they were all just one Russian people. And yeah. if the Ukrainians wanted to forget their heritage of being Russian people, then Russia should take away the territories that Russia gave them. Uh, and that was his ideological prop propagandistic justification for trying to seize potentially more than just Eastern Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, I mean, that should put a bit of a shiver up the spine of Lukashenko, right? The, the leader of Belarus, who's buddy, buddy with Putin. I mean, he, he's basically Putin's puppet anyway, but it sounds like Putin is also kind of throwing down the gauntlet of, you know, you'd better stay on my side or I'll just fucking take over Belarus too. Well, I mean, Belarus already has a ton of Russian troops on the border of Ukraine and sitting in Belarus. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Belarus is all, all yeah. for Russia right now. They're like, yep, come do whatever you want. I mean, that's where they're playing their war games before mm -hmm. shit went south. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the difference between Belarus and Ukraine is pretty much the like real world manifestation of it's better to be the right hand of the devil than in his path. Hmm. So the sanctions that the Biden administration pushed yesterday, um, in this case, the U.S. has blocked any interaction with the Vinesh Economy Bank or VEB, uh, which is Russia's fifth largest bank. We didn't even do this much back in 2014 with the seizure of Crimea. Uh, and these sanctions against Vinesh Economy Bank were matched by the EU. We also individually targeted uh, executives from some of the larger banks in Russia and are reserving sanctions against those same top five banks in the event that Russia goes further than they already have. One of the important things about sanctions is that you leave yourself room to like do more. You don't mm -hmm. throw all of your sanctions up front. Yeah, you, you got to save some room to ratchet up more sanctions. Yeah, mm -hmm. which I, I was watching one press briefing today where there, um, it was a U.S., one of the security guys, and they're asking, why didn't you put sanctions against Putin's direct you know, bank accounts? And they're like, well, right now we're targeting his friends, mm -hmm. people who might yeah. have influence with him, like right. the oligarchs, the, the, the people that are surrounding him to hopefully put pressure on him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we're going forward, we, like you said, don't go all in right off the bat. You know, if, if Ukraine starts firing rounds and going further in, okay, Putin, we're going to yeah. take everything from you. Mm. Yep. So, yeah, uh, that's it. That's the history. I just wanted to make sure that like you had a slightly better than what you probably got in high school history, you know, 20 years ago, uh, version of what's gone on in Ukraine for the last you know, relevant hundred years or so. Oh yeah. I definitely learned more about the Eastern Bloc in, in these last roughly 20 minutes than I learned throughout all of my high school career. <laughs> and it's, it's super interesting. Um, like the, that part of Europe has really gotten just not a, not a good hand dealt to them. You know, they've been pinched between aspiring empires for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope someday the peoples in that region can just like rest. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, this whole war started, well, what's happening right now, I think essentially started eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you had those, those areas of Donetsk and, uh, um, uh, Luhansk. Luhansk. yeah, Luhansk. I'm trying to say it with the Russian way. Uh, <laughs> Basically, like you said, the little green men. It wasn't citizens that decided to free themselves. It's fucking Russia mm-hmm. putting these people in there. So you're not freeing the citizens of Ukraine. No, this has been Russian influence the entire fucking time once they didn't have the control they wanted. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and, and one thing I didn't get into as much as I probably could have is that there's a major, um, there's a major dry dock, Sevastopol, in that area. Um, and it has been the site of most of Russia's fleet. Uh, when Ukraine split from the USSR and declared their independence for the first decade or so, there were pretty considerable conflicts between Ukraine and Russia over ownership of that fleet. And for a while, Ukraine was saying, no, we're going to take the whole thing. And Russia threatened to go to war with them. So instead, they created like a, a lease agreement, basically, where like Ukraine was billing Russia for the use of the, the port in Crimea. And in exchange, they were like alternating ownership of the actual ships posted there. Um, and one of the biggest motivations for Russia to take Crimea now is for that port. Doesn't, uh, doesn't Odessa also have a large port? Isn't that also a large port and rail city? In uh, uh, southern Ukraine, that, that rings true. Yes, uh, because I just find it interesting that the you know Russia says they're going in there on a peacekeeping mission. Yet for this peacekeeping mission, you have there's reports of large amounts of Russian naval fleets sitting mm-hmm. off the southern end of Ukraine. You know that can move in and do whatever they want. And it's probably going to be just guessing right in there to Odessa where these ports are and that is not in a contested area that mm-hmm. is 100% part of Ukraine but I mean they would love to have control of that and have control of the entire Black Sea probably yeah, or at least the northern half of the Black Sea cutting Ukraine mm-hmm. off from any water access yeah well, I don't think it looks good no and I, I just wanted to I wanted to make sure that we we got into a little bit of the history of Ukraine, you know, showed how they have just gotten beat up by Russia for more than a hundred years, more than 200 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make sure to disabuse some of the propaganda. Um, one of the ones you'll hear the most, especially even from people on the right. Um, is Russia has ownership uh, to it. Right. Or, or, or well, specifically the one that I wanted to get at was, was the so-called expansion of NATO. And, and I like to use this analogy. Uh, there's a difference between asking someone on a date and being asked on a date. Um, NATO doesn't really expand per se. Um, countries are allowed to ask to join NATO. And if they meet the qualifications, mm-hmm. NATO will accept them. Right. It's not like NATO has missionaries, right? That knock on the door <laughs> of countries adjacent to Russia and says, Hey, would you like to join us? Mm-hmm. Those countries who don't want to be taken over by Russia go to NATO and say, Hey, we will contribute to the cause. Please help protect us. Yeah. And that 
polarization, right? Or the polarity of that relationship is very important. And people who want you to not support Ukraine will try and reverse that polarity and make it seem like NATO is somehow imperialist for what they do. And I mean, it's also why when, I guess, you know, talks broke down between Russia and everyone else, it's like, well, the one thing Russia is asking for is that we are never allowed to let Ukraine in, which is complete yeah. bullshit. If they want that protection, they get it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would like to do, I promised that I would give y'all something that's a little bit more uplifting. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to uh, our last segment where I'm going to give you a much happier story. Hey, all you dirty cis people out there who think you run the world. This is the trans podcaster, Marissa Alexa McCool, coming to say that you should go sit in the corner and listen to other people talk. And the people you should listen to are the godless revolution folks, because they're the good kind of cis people. We don't have to shame them just as much. So you go ahead and listen to them, and then you come listen to us so we can tell them why they need to apologize. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you. All right. Welcome back. And uh, I promised I'd give you something uplifting. Um, let's start with some starvation. So after- <laughs> always uplifting starvation. That's my favorite. It's when I need a good, you know, heartfelt story. I always turn to stories of starvation. Yes. I love when my you stomach know? is cramping and growling at me. <laughs> uh, after World War II, Germany was split in half between the Allied nations and the USSR. This was largely done because the Russians distrusted Europe's ability to keep Germany from restoring itself again. Uh, skepticism that came from, you know, the Versailles Treaty falling apart. Uh, they had a total unwillingness to allow Germany to once again acquire power. Because the capital of Germany, Berlin, was inside the eastern half of Germany, uh, which was controlled by the USSR, Berlin itself was divided into sectors. One half was controlled by the USSR. The other half was split between America, Britain, and France. So an island of allied-controlled Berlin in a sea of USSR-held East Germany. From June 1948 until May 1949, tensions between the West and the USSR reached a peak. Moscow decided to blockade Western Berlin from entering Eastern Berlin. They cut off all rail and road access to the city, leaving 2 million people without access to food, fuel, medicine, or other necessities. Thus began the Berlin Airlift. 278,000 flights carrying 2 million tons of supplies over 15 months were channeled into Berlin. The flights ran literally 24-7. That's a lot of fucking planes and flights man yeah to put it in perspective there were times when there was a plane landing every three minutes wow yeah 
Uh, Utah resident Gail Halverson was one of those pilots who himself flew 190 of the Berlin airlift missions. While he was waiting between flights, he saw a group of Berliner children at a fence and he gave them what he had in his pocket, just two sticks of gum, which were split amongst the four kids there. The Berliners were being kept from starvation, but they were still very hungry. And these kids had not had anything to look forward to in a long time. So Halverson began his candy bombing campaign. When his plane approached Berlin, he would (laughs) wobble the plane on one axis, which caused the wings to noticeably wiggle. Before landing, he would drop chocolates and other candies in parcels with small parachutes Mm -hmm. to the kids below. They would know the plane was his because of the wobbling wings. That's Well, it's basically like you shake your wings. It's kind of like, uh, it's like a nodding saying hello. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, He... Uh, he got caught when a German journalist started reporting the story. Initially, his superiors chastised him and nearly court-martialed him for doing the unauthorized drop. And then shortly thereafter told him to carry on. My guess is that somebody at the State Department slapped that senior officer around <laughs> and told them <laughs> what good press this would be. The right? fuck yeah. are you thinking? He's doing a good thing. Good it's, thing. A, it's a wonderful feel-good story, and you want to court-martial him? Are you fucking stupid? Yep. It's like, we're going to be ran through the fucking ringers if press hears we court-martial the guy for giving kids fucking candy. He's giving them right. candy instead of instead of actual bombs. Like, that. what are you? <laughs> Jesus. We're trying to win a PR PR war here too, man. It's it's important to know that like this is 1948, 1949. If these were little kids, they were born in Nazi Germany and all they ever knew of America was stories of things like the Dresden bombing. Mm-hmm. The campaign would grow larger than Halverson, becoming known as Operation Little Vittles. And by the end of the airlift, the US would have dropped more than 23 tons of candy <laughs> on little parachutes. Wow. Gail Halverson died February 16th of this year at 101 years old. And, wow. Uh, yeah. That's a very cool and heartwarming story all about. And I, and I say we, we change it. He didn't die. He lived to be 101. <laughs> right. <Bobby. laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's a very heartwarming story all about bombing children. With candy. <laughs> With candy. Well, and the thing that I think is is really important to remember is that in the upcoming weeks, months, maybe even years, is that there's going to be, there could very well be a siege in the western parts of Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. Where people who live life just like we do are going to be living life very differently than we do. Um, and it may, there may come a time when we have to send supplies into an isolated and besieged Kiev. And, and when that happens, remember that that's, that's our country doing what it should do. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it could be happening before this fucking podcast gets put out. <laughs> right. Hell, it could be happening yeah. right now. We've been watching the news this whole fucking three hours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we live we live in dangerous times, man. It's it's not good and it's not I don't see that social media is helping uh as far as the the propaganda or PR war. I I talked to you guys a little bit in between segments that earlier today just in 
doing some uh, stinker tinker on Facebook. <laughs> uh, well, I was, I was, I was taking a shit and, and surfing Facebook. <laughs> it was, I noticed, I noticed a couple different, a, a couple different threads. I ended up blocking, I think more than a half dozen people uh, just over the course of maybe 10 minutes while I was in the bathroom because there was a thread I saw where somebody posted a meme about uh, it was the uh, stupid fucking pawn shop people. And it's like, uh, you know, well, we want, we want socialized healthcare. Or we want, uh, you know, our student debt wiped away. And then the next panel is Biden and it's best I can do is world war three. Oh, jeez. And it's like, yeah. Mm. And, you know, my comment was, yeah, sure. You know, all of the problems in Ukraine right now are Biden's fault. Yeah. And then right. that, of course, started an argument. Well, no, that's not what this is about. It's about the, you know, he's not focusing on things here domestically. Okay. Well, you know, people can do more than one fucking thing at a time. Maybe yeah. in your limited capacity, you, you can only do one, lim one thing at a time, but that's not the case here. People can handle more than one crisis and more than one issue at a time. So this is just, it's fucking nonsense. And then all of these Russian troll farm people started commenting. And you go and look at their profiles and they're opened very recently. They have very few friends. They're all common friends with each other. Mm -hmm. And they're all friends with these fucking Bernie bros and Gabbard gals that fucking think that Bernie Sanders somehow could have done a much better job as president with the Senate the way it is and the, the House the way it is with narrow, narrow margins and Bernie losing the popular vote anyway to twice to running to, to run for president right. mm -hmm. and then Tulsi Gabbard going to speak at CPAC. It's just, these people are fucking nuts. They're, they're so ill-informed about the world at large that it's shocking and disappointing. And I don't have any patience for them anymore. And so it ends up, I'll, I'll, I'll try to engage a little bit. And at the, at the first instance or hint of Russian propaganda, a couple of the people made comments about, well, why should we, why should we bother helping Ukraine? Cause they're just a bunch of neo-Nazis anyway. Okay. Well, you've, you've bought the, the Russian propaganda hook line propaganda. and sinker. So mm -hmm. congratulations, or you're just a Russian troll yourself. So mm -hmm. I have no right. time for that kind of stupid nonsense. And well, I even saw a point, you know, fall back on the, it's not about persuading them. It's about persuading everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and if there's not a good audience, then yeah, disengage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. It was, I mean, these were, these were people with not a very large audience, not much participation or following of their posts or anything. And then the, the few people that were very active on their timeline were like very obviously just Russian troll farms. Oh yeah. Right. Well, I even saw Maggie or Marjorie Taylor green blaming Kamala Harris for going over there to speak and saying, well, we sent her over there and look, now we're going to war. Like she's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's all, like, it's all Harris's fault that we're going to war now. It's like every country sent someone to this talk. It wasn't just <laughs> her and she has no control over what the fuck Russia does. Yeah. Well, and then I hear a lot of complaints about, well, Biden's not doing anything domestically and all he's doing is talking about Russia and Ukraine. And it's like, yeah, he's talking about Russia and Ukraine in order to help avert a war. And war. that's all of a sudden a bad fucking thing. 
a war in Europe is not good for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad for the entire fucking world. Well, well, why are we doing anything over there in Ukraine instead of just handling our business here? Well, you know, historically speaking, ignoring the actions of dictators in the Eastern Bloc has not led to good outcomes, especially yeah. when we hear Putin saying how great Stalin was about a bunch of different things. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I'll bet, I'll bet most people alive these days who are actively participating in social media know fuck all about Stalin and all of the killing that went on under his regime. And then to have Putin lionize Stalin and say how great he was and that he wants to return to a lot of a lot of Stalinist ideology is like holy fucking shit Mm -hmm. man that's really really bad we should all be super concerned about that I wouldn't doubt that Putin has personally killed people oh oh yeah 100 Uh yes like Uh and I'm not talking about when he worked with the KGB I'm talking about as a fucking politician him personally taking out Yeah, I mean, he, that are dissenters I'm, of his. I'm I'm willing to bet that he blew up that uh, building in 1998. You know, <laughs> uh, do you mind if I interject real quick? Because no, Dan, your your statement made me paranoid a moment ago, and so I started threading through the top posts or the most recent the posts drugs. in uh, uh, the World News subreddit. Yeah, um, and and I caught a headline that um, harkens back to a conversation I think we had on there. I don't think it was in between our shows, but. Um, uh, Trudeau has ended the use of the Emergencies Act in response to the uh, the truck nuts. Mm. Is that true? So, so he has officially said there is no longer a need for the Emergency Act. The situation is no longer an emergency, and he immediately canceled his increased powers granted under said Emergency Act. Hmm. Weird. How's that going to play into the narrative of him becoming an authoritarian dictator Dictator. in Canada? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. That's strange. It's weird. So weird that he would just relinquish those powers as soon as he longer as soon as he no longer needed them. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. not a dictator play. <laughs> this runs completely counter to what to what I originally thought. How can I weave this into my conspiracy now? There's a there's a Cincinnatus joke in here somewhere, but I can't quite get to it. <laughs> Uh, it's just not encouraging news pretty much anywhere in the world. I, I'm, I'm very happy to see a lot of the NATO allies and surrounding countries in that region doing what they can to support Ukraine, if, if not mm-hmm. with full military force, at least in spirit and through sanctions and cooperation mm-hmm. among the NATO nations. Uh, it was, it was cool to see Germany light up the Brandenburg Gate in ukrainian national flag uh, colors that was yeah. that was awesome yeah. i mean just all yeah. of the 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 apparent solidarity among the rest of the developed world in standing against what russia is doing i just hope that yeah. it doesn't lead us all into world war three but i don't know what we can do to try to stop putin at this point from just yeah. slaughtering tens of thousands perhaps millions of people well, Finland has now said that um, they think that membership in NATO should remain an option for Ukraine. Poland and Lithuania have just said that Ukraine deserves EU candidate status because oh. of their security challenges. Yeah. It would be I mean, what happens if we bring them into NATO tonight. 
There's there's supposed to be a vote to, it's not on them bringing them into NATO, but there's supposed to be a UN council vote tonight on what to do, which of Mm -hmm. course Russia is going to vote against. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's there's talk amongst policy wonks, but not necessarily politicians that I've seen. And I've only given cursory glances to things. Um, but there's talk among policy wonks of removing Russia from the National Security Council. They should. Um, un- under the same grounds as when the USSR was starting up shit back in like the 40s and 50s. I, I don't see why they're still allowed to seat at the table when they're the ones causing the problem. Yeah. Mm. I mean, as a firefighter, if there's a house on fire, the person who started the fire doesn't get to make decisions on how we act. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And and appeasing dictators has historically yeah. been a really fucking bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that went a little bit long. I'm sorry. I promised you guys a short script and I was wrong. Survey oh. says that was a lie. No. Didn't mean it. <laughs> No, you're totally fine, man. Uh, but we have run, we have exceeded the time allotted for our shows these days. So we're going to wrap been doing things that. up. <laughs> so, <laughs> before we go, though, I want to make sure that we thank our Patreon subscribers because they help keep the show going. Let's have Ryan go first and then uh, you, Taylor, and I'll go third. Hopefully okay. you're not fucking me. <laughs> Two skeptical chaps. A noble spirit embiggens the smallest man. A perfectly cromulent statement. Alan Firth. All hail Peanut Buttra. Darwin is coming. Doug Willoughby. Hunter Grin. Is it just me or are these patrons amazing? Yeah, they indeed are. John McCullough. Ali Olson. Sinead Duffy. Steve Kuno. <laughs> Stephen Andrews. Ted Sellen. Tiffany Hudson. Vanessa. Corey Ebert. Don't be a Richard. Freethinker215. Good news, everyone. Jeff Peterson. Jeremy Goodson. Jonathan. Marvin Dracon. Matthew Sanders. Megan Mitchell. Not a fucking gymnast. I don't know why that's my favorite one. <laughs> Brexit says fucking in it. <laughs> Updog programmer. Utah Outcasts. Wesley Aaron. Zeus 9SO. Janet Uter. Purple Dragon. Sarah Segovia. Savita Kuna. Socialized healthcare saved my life. Tim Jacobson. Trisha Weir. James. Professor Frank and Mr. Burns want you to please support the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. Woo! Thank you all so very much for your patronage of this show. If you, dear listener, would like to become a Patreon patron, you can do so very easily by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution, where you can contribute as little as $1 per episode. And then you get all kinds of fun things like extended episodes, bonus episodes, extended outtakes, clips from the cutting room floor, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go now. I have, I keep getting dinged here on my work computer from people wanting to talk to me because I'm in the habit of putting in 12 to 14 hour work days now. Tell them it's seven o'clock at night and work is done which is awesome let me tell you how great it is it's so much fun
back in the USSR. I need to cut that. I confused myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, point one to the muscle relaxers. <laughs> Trump, as he's talking about how awesome Putin is. <laughs> he's the greatest dictator. I mean, president ever. Yeah. He's wonderful. We 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 loved each other a lot. We 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 docked several times. In private meetings, I don't know. That's what the kids are calling it, docking. Yeah. It's it's a thing. I don't know. 